Let's take our <coughs> Bibles this morning and turn to Genesis chapter 39. <coughs> Genesis 39 this morning. And <coughs> we'll begin reading from verse 1. So then Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Let's <coughs> commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this wonderful day. We thank you, Lord, that we are able with freedom to come this morning and gather around your word, gather in this place. Lord, I pray that this morning you would help us to come with hearts prepared to receive your word. I pray that you would uh, empower me now through the Spirit. Give me wisdom and guidance to speak that it would be your words this morning, your thoughts, that you would challenge us, that you would uh, meet us where we're at, that you would refresh us through your word, and that, Lord, your name would be honoured and glorified and praised. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, chapter 37 uh, concluded uh, with the words there in verse 36. It says, And the Midianites sold him into Egypt under Potiphar, the officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the garden. So chapter 37 uh, concludes with this statement that Joseph is sold unto Potiphar. And then chapter 39 begins with basically the exact same information as we just read there in verse 1. <clears throat> now, of course, in between you have chapter 38. And chapter 38 really uh, sort of almost seems out of place. It interrupts the story of Joseph, which we've been looking at, and it uh, turns his attention for a little bit to what's happening back in Canaan. Okay? Uh, during these 20-odd years that Joseph is away in Egypt, it sort of focuses briefly on the events back there uh, with his family. And in particular, chapter 38 focuses on Judah and his immediate family. And we, we learn there in chapter 38 that he has three sons to a Canaanite woman named Shua, and two of those sons are so wicked that the Lord actually slays them. Lord, the Lord kills them because of their sin. And then we learn of Judah's sin with Tamar, his daughter-in-law, uh, who of course disguised herself as a prostitute and he went in unto her, he sinned with her. And that sinful relationship produced two twin boys, uh, Fares and Zara. And that's an important piece of information because Fares is actually in the line of Christ. Okay, and so that gives us that detail where he came from. Okay, and he's in the lineage of our Lord. But we're going to skip over chapter 38. And we're going to instead focus our attention on chapter 39. We're going to continue to focus on the life of Joseph. So I'll give you an idea of what chapter 38 is about. But we're going to leave that behind now. And we're going to go to chapter 39. And so in chapter 39, we see that <coughs> Joseph now, of course, he's been sold, as we saw last week, he's been sold by his brothers uh, to the, the Midianites, the Ishmaelites, and they've carried him away down into Egypt. He's been taken far from his home, everything he knows, down into the land of Egypt. And there he finds himself, you know, perhaps with hundreds of others standing in the slave market. You know, he's standing there and he is now up for auction to the highest bidder. You know, Joseph's circumstances have changed dramatically, haven't they? You know, he's gone from a position of favor, a position of honor within his household. His father, of course, had said that he was going to receive the birthright. 
And now he's standing in Egypt with no rights, no freedom, and no control over his future. No control over his own destiny. What's going to happen to him? You know, many in Joseph's situation would have now given up hope. Many in Joseph's situation would have become discouraged, become bitter, become angry you know, at, at his brothers back home, bitter and angry at the world, lost faith, perhaps even turned away from the Lord. But instead, what we see from Joseph is a continued and sustained trust in the Lord. You know, faith that God knows best, faith that God is in control of the situation he now faces. You see, Joseph believed <clears throat> and understood the truth of Romans 8.28, even though it hadn't been written yet. Romans 8.28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Joseph believed and understood that, that truth, that God was in control of his situation. To human eyes, it seems like everything has gone wrong that could go wrong. But Joseph doesn't lose faith. He trusts in the Lord and he trusts in the word of God under him. And so the passage before us this morning highlights Joseph's godly response to a time of adversity. Joseph's godly response to a time of adversity. And I want us to see firstly here his situation. <clears throat> Joseph's situation. Look there in verse 1. It says, Joseph <clears throat> was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him of the hand of the, sorry, hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. In verse 1, we're told the situation that Joseph now finds himself to be in. You know, having been put up for auction there in the slave market in Egypt, he is purchased by a man named Potiphar, who we're told here in verse 1 is an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard. Now, the phrase officer of Pharaoh, that tells us that he is a high-ranking official within the Egyptian government. And the title, captain of the guard, is believed to mean that he was the chief of executioners and the chief of security. Uh, the commentator Butler writes this, <clears throat> his job was to oversee the protection of the king of Egypt and also to oversee the punishment of those who incurred the king's disfavor. And so this is who Joseph is purchased by, this, this man who is one of Pharaoh's most trusted officials. You know, he's a high-ranking official within government and he is the chief of security, chief of executioners. Okay, he's a high-ranking official, most trusted official, if you like, by Pharaoh. You know, Potiphar is a man of power, a man of wealth, isn't he? And it gives us an idea, if you like, of the, the household, the estate that Joseph is now working in, okay, that he is brought into. He finds himself in one of the most prominent households in the land of Egypt. You know, you, you've got Pharaoh's household and then you've got Potiphar's. It's, it's up there. It's one of the most prominent households. And Joseph is not the only slave, is he? He is just one of many slaves that Potiphar would have had. In verse 2, we're given a bit of an indication as to where exactly he is working for Potiphar. Okay? In verse 2 it says, And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now this phrase seems to indicate that he is a domestic 
slave, domestic servant, if you like, as opposed to a slave who's laboring in the fields for his master. Okay? He's within the house of Potiphar. Now, I'm not told exactly what task Joseph is given when he first arrives there in the household. But we can safely assume that because Joseph is the newest, that he starts at the bottom, doesn't he? You know, he starts at the bottom. He's the newest and therefore he is the lowest slave in Potiphar's household. The least trusted slave in Potiphar's household. One commentator wrote this, We are not told what Joseph's first duties were. Naturally, he would be assigned the most menial tasks and be under constant supervision and surveillance. You know, he's the least trusted slave because he's the new one and he's given the worst jobs because he's new. And so young Joseph, he's been cruelly torn away from the life that he knew, a life that was freedom, it was a life of privilege, and he's been carried away now into a foreign land where he finds himself to be the lowest, most insignificant slave in Potiphar's household. You know, it seems like Joseph's lost everything, doesn't it? Seems like he has lost everything. His whole world has been turned upside down. He's gone from being the son who's going to receive the birthright, so he's at the top, to now being at the bottom, but not just that, he's now a slave at the very bottom. He has no rights, he has no freedom, but Joseph is exactly where God wanted him to be. And that's the important thing. Joseph is exactly where God wanted him to be. You look there in verse 2. It says, And the Lord was with Joseph. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? The Lord was with Joseph. This is a wonderful truth. God had not left Joseph. God had not made a mistake. Joseph was exactly where God intended him to be at this point in his life. The Lord was with Joseph. You see, it's God's providence that brought Joseph into Potiphar's house, isn't it? It's the providence of God that brought him into Potiphar's house. You think about it, Joseph, when he's put up for sale there in the slave market, he could have been bought by anybody. But it's Potiphar who buys him out of everyone else. It's Potiphar. This high-ranking, highly trusted member of Pharaoh's government is the one who purchases Joseph. This is not by chance, is it? It's not by chance. There is a reason why God has placed him in Potiphar's house. There's a reason why God has him here. You see, God is going to use this time in Potiphar's house to prepare Joseph for future service, isn't he? He's going to use this to prepare him for the future. See, Joseph would now spend approximately the next 11 years in Potiphar's house. That's how long he's there. Okay, Approximately 11 years, he's in Potiphar's house. That's a long apprenticeship, isn't it? That's a long traineeship. And there are two main things, if you like, that God is going to develop in Joseph during this time. The first thing that he's developing is Joseph's capacity for service. His capacity for service. And what I mean by that is that God is going to give him the tools that he needs for his future ministry. God's going to give him the tools necessary. You see, being a servant in Potiphar's house exposes Joseph to the ins and outs of Egyptian government, doesn't it? exposes him to the ins and outs, the workings of it all, as he sees Potiphar. You know, as Potiphar has other officials come and he's conducting affairs. 
Joseph is exposed to this. He's exposed to this governmental system. He, he gains a knowledge, he gains an understanding that is going to be of great use to him later in life, isn't it? You know, the commentator Butler wrote this, anyone working for Potiphar would have been in a, a location where he would readily become aware of the ins and outs of Egyptian government, how essential this knowledge would be for one who was going to serve in the high office of government that Joseph eventually held. God was carefully and excellently training Joseph for future service. You see, God is using this time, these 11 years, to equip him with the knowledge he needs, the skills he needs, to do what God wants him to do here in Egypt. God's equipping him with the knowledge of Egypt, its, its culture, its customs, its governments. You know, God also teaches him during this time how to run a country, doesn't he? On a small scale. You know, as we know, Joseph is raised to being the head of Potiphar's house, doesn't he? Let's just read verse 5. It says, And it came to pass from the time that he made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, and the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field, and left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had save the bread which he did eat, and Joseph was a goodly person and well favoured. Joseph is, of course, raised to be head of Potiphar's house. He's in charge of everything. Everything's in his care. And this is basically exactly what happens to him later in life. He's raised to be second in command in Egypt. He's over everything. Everything's in his care. The only one he can't tell what to do is Pharaoh. You see, God is preparing him on a small scale for something on a large scale, isn't he? God is preparing for this role later in life. God is giving him the capacity for service. And God is also using this time to develop his character for service. His character for service. You see, this time in Potiphar's house taught Joseph humility, didn't it? It taught him humility. The scriptures repeatedly teach that it's the humble that God honours and God exalts. James 4 verse 6 declares, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. It's the humble that God exalts. James 4 verse 10 likewise says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Again, it's the humble that God lifts up, that God exalts. Proverbs 15 verse 33 is another verse. Just quickly turn over there. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 15. <clears throat> An Old Testament verse expressing the same truth. Proverbs 15 and verse 33. Proverbs 15, verse 33 says, The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. Humility comes first. You see, God's word is very clear that before God honors someone, he must first humble them. He teaches them humility. They're the kind of people that he's looking for. And therefore, Joseph, he goes from having freedom, he goes from having privilege, to having no freedom, no rights, and God is doing that on purpose. God's using this. It's a, it's a plan, it's a purpose of God to humble Joseph so that he might exalt Joseph in due course. You see, God is developing Joseph's character through adversity, isn't he? 
Not that Joseph wasn't already a humble man. We've talked about his godly character already. But that doesn't mean God can't refine him further. And God does. God uses this to refine his character. Butler notes this, character is vital for service. God goes to great lengths to develop character in those he would assign to high places. And few things develop character as much as lowliness. God develops character. Character is vital if we're going to serve him. And often it starts with him humbling us first, teaching us humility. You see, God indeed would, through lowliness, develop Joseph's character. He's going to spend a lot of, t- lot of years in lowliness, isn't he? And God's developing his character. God is molding him. God is making him into the servant that he wants him to be. And beloved, we need to realize that like Joseph, God is with us in the circumstances that we face, the situations that we face. And if we are indeed saved and seeking the will of God, as Romans 8.28 teaches, all things are working together for our good. That's the reality. If we are saved, we are seeking the will of God, that all things are working together for our good. And that means that even when adversity comes, you know, perhaps in the form of trials, perhaps in the, the form of persecution, perhaps like Joseph, it's a complete upheaval of everything we know. A loss of freedom, a loss of rights. The point is, whatever form it may take, when adversity comes, God is still in control. And God is allowing that adversity, that situation to come into our lives for a reason. That situation we now find ourselves is not a mistake. God has not forgotten about us. God has not made a mistake. He he hasn't shut his eyes and suddenly he's forgotten about everything. Our God is with us. Our God is in control And he has allowed that situation for our benefit. And ultimately, it's for his glory, isn't it? It's for his glory. That's why he allows us to go through these things. You know, knowing that God is in control of every situation we face means that our reaction or our response to those situations is of utmost importance, isn't it? And that's exactly what we now see here with Joseph. We see, secondly, now his response. We've seen his situation and what God is trying to do. Now we see, secondly, his response. Just look at me there in verse 4 to start off with. Verse 4, it says, And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him. And he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. You know, Joseph, as he's brought down to Egypt, and he finds himself now in Potiphar's house, Joseph doesn't know... Or fully understand what God is trying to do, does he? He doesn't know. God hasn't told him everything. He doesn't understand why he's in this situation. Or what God is trying to do. But Joseph simply trusts God and he responds accordingly. You see, Joseph responds to this terrible situation that he now finds himself in. He responds by simply being faithful. That's what he does. He's faithful. He faithfully serves God where God has placed him. The start of verse 4 there, it declares, it says, And Joseph found grace in his sight, that's Potiphar's sight, and he served him. What did Joseph do? 
he served Potiphar. That sums it up for us. That sums up Joseph's response. He finds himself as a slave in Potiphar's house and he submits to his new master. He serves his master in faithfulness to God. Butler writes this, Joseph was not lazy and did not take out his hurt feelings on Potiphar by poor working habits. Rather, he worked diligently for his new master. That he was a slave had been evilly treated and ought to be a prince instead of a pauper, did not limit his labor. Another commentator wrote this, Instead of complaining, Joseph faithfully served as a slave. This was because he was serving not just a Gentile master, he was serving God. You see, Joseph had a right perspective of it all, didn't he? He realized that he's serving God. Even here in this place, he's serving God. How can he serve God? By serving his earthly master. You see, Joseph's reaction here in Egypt is one of godly wisdom and maturity. He didn't look around at the circumstances that he now found himself in and become discouraged and quit. He didn't look at the circumstances that he faced and become bitter and angry at the world, angry at his brothers back home, angry at Potiphar because he's his master. How dare he tell me what to do? Instead, what did Joseph do? He put his head down and he faithfully served his master and served God. You see, in obeying his new master, he was obeying God, wasn't he? He's obeying God. And beloved, this is the response that we must all have to situations that we face here in this life. There will be times of adversity. That's a fact. There is going to be times of adversity in different forms, as we talked about earlier. But in those times, we must simply look to the Lord and remain faithful. Isn't that what 1 Corinthians 4 verse 2 says? Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. That's what God's looking for in us above everything else, is faithfulness. Faithfulness where God has placed us. You know, in the book of Revelation, Christ tells the church at Smyrna, who are suffering, they're experiencing tribulation, they're going through great persecution. What does Christ say to them? He says, remain faithful. Turn over there, Revelation chapter 2 with me. Let's just read it, Revelation 2. In Revelation 2 verse 8, it says, under the church, sorry, under the angel of the church in Smyrna writes, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation, and poverty, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of them which say thou are Jews, and are not, but are the, uh, are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. You know, Christ says to the church at Smyrna, he says, I know what you're going through. He knew what they were going through. The situation they were in was no mistake. It was not an accident. And the Lord says to them, he says, remain faithful unto death. You see, the point is that this must likewise be our reaction to adversity. 
to any situation we face. Faithfulness, not bitterness, not anger, which we saw last week only results in greater sin. We saw that with the brothers. You see, our response must be faithfulness and also submission to where God has placed us and submission to those that God has placed in authority over us. 1 Peter chapter 2 makes that abundantly clear. 1 Peter 2, <clears throat> verse 13. <clears throat> First Peter 2 verse 13 says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors, or unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God, honour all men, Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And then verse 18 says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. You know, Joseph, he practiced the truth of verse 18, didn't he? Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. Joseph practiced the truth of verse 18 with a, a godly attitude of heart. He submitted himself to the authority of his master, Potiphar. Why? Because in doing so, he's submitting to God, his heavenly father. And because of his right response, we see that two things happened for Joseph. The first thing that happened is he prospered. Go back there to Genesis 39, verse 2. <clears throat> It says, and the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught that he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favoured. The first thing that happens because of Joseph's right response, one of faithfulness and submission, is that the Lord prospers his time here in Potiphar's house. Verse 2 sums it up, doesn't it? It says, And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. He was prosperous. Now, obviously, prosperity here has nothing to do with wealth and fortune, nothing to do with fame, nothing to do with freedom, does it? Joseph's still a slave. Nothing's changed. And yet, as he faithfully serves God in this place, we are told that he was prosperous. And as we read on, we learn how he is prosperous, don't we? In verse 3, it says, And his master saw the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. It says the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. The Lord was with Joseph as he performed those daily tasks, those menial tasks, those chores. The Lord was with him and prospered the work of his hands. Commentator writes this, 
What we learn from Joseph's experience is that true prosperity is when God is with you and helping you to do your duty with excellence. Your duty may be very lowly, but God can still give you a good day on the job. God helped Joseph in so many ways in his slave work that the scriptures say, the Lord made all that he did to prosper. You see, the Lord blessed the work of Joseph's hands. And little by little, it was noticed by Potiphar, wasn't it? Little by little, Potiphar noticed. To the point where Joseph is taken and he is promoted by Potiphar to being the highest in the household. As we read before, verse 4, it says, And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his hands. And then verse 5 and 6 add to that. But Joseph is raised up by Potiphar to be in chief in the household. Everything's under his authority. Potiphar trusts him completely to take care of all these things. How did he get to that position? Well, Joseph was noticed by Potiphar because of his attitude. Okay? Potiphar noticed that Joseph was a hard worker. Potiphar noticed that his tasks that he gave Joseph were done well. He noticed that Joseph was successful in what he undertook. And in time, he promoted Joseph. And this promotion is from the Lord, isn't it? It's from the Lord. The Lord was prospering his faithful service. He's still a slave. But now Joseph has the authority within the household. He's trusted above everyone else to run the household. You know, as he undertook this new position as head of the household, God also prospered his service by blessing the whole house, didn't he? Verse 5 says, And it came to pass from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. So God blesses Joseph. He blesses the work of his hands and God blesses the house because of Joseph, because of his godly attitude, his godly response to the situation he found himself in. You see, the truth is that when we, like Joseph, respond in the right way, with a godly attitude, faithfulness, submission to the situation we are in, beloved, we will likewise find that God causes us to prosper. Now, it doesn't mean riches. It doesn't mean fortune. It means the Lord will bless the work of our hands. The Lord will give success to the work that we undertake for His glory. God will exalt us. God will use us to honor Him for His glory. And the second thing that happened for Joseph here is that Joseph's right response led to him being a witness. He was a witness. Look there in verse 3. It says, And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. He was a witness. You see, because Joseph responded with this right attitude, faithfully just serving God, submitting to this master that now was above him, God not only prospered him, but we also see that Joseph had this wonderful, glorious testimony, witness to Potiphar's house. As we read there in verse 3, it says, His master saw that the Lord was with him. 
Potiphar saw God's hand upon Joseph's life. Joseph's response was a witness, was a testimony to Potiphar, but also to the whole household. They saw that there was something different about Joseph. As Potiphar watched Joseph, he saw there's something different about him to all the rest of the slaves. His attitude is completely different. His work ethic is different. It's better. His speech was different. Everything about Joseph was different. And it all seemed to stem from the fact that Joseph served a different God. That's why Potiphar says, and it says, sorry, it says in verse 3, and his master saw that the Lord was with him. Potiphar connected the dots and he realized it was because God was with him. It's this God that Joseph serves. You know, perhaps Joseph, like Daniel, had taken time to pray every day and Potiphar had noticed him praying. But we certainly see that he didn't hide his faith in God, did he? Potiphar was aware that he served a different God. He didn't hide that truth. Potiphar saw this and it became clear that this was the difference. This was the source of the difference in Joseph's life, the difference in his reaction to his situation. Now, Wearsby writes this, Joseph was a testimony to the true and living God. He was an honest and faithful worker, and the people he lived and worked with got the message. Beloved, when we respond with a godly attitude to the situations we face, when we respond with faithfulness and submission, our lives will be a witness, a testimony to those around us. In Philippians 2, Paul speaks about how our attitude is a testimony. Just turn over there, Philippians 2. <clears throat> Philippians 2, verse 14. It says, Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless, and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither laboured in vain. Paul makes it clear our attitude. Do all things without murmuring and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke. Our attitude, our reaction is a testimony. And we are to be shining lights in this dark world. And our light shines brightly when we respond with a godly attitude to every situation we face. The world will see the difference. They will see the hand of the Lord upon us and they will in turn be drawn to glorify Him. Matthew 5, Matthew 5 verse 16, Christ teaches that. Matthew 5. <clears throat> Matthew 5, verse 16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Christ makes it clear that our testimony before men is of utmost importance. The unsaved are watching how we respond, how we react, how we conduct ourselves. So, beloved, this morning I wonder... 
Are others led to glorify God by our response to times of adversity? Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you once more for Joseph. And Lord, the godly example that he is unto us. Lord, may we react in the right way to adversity in our own lives. May we realize, Lord, that you are on the throne, that you are in control, that that circumstance is not a mistake, that, Lord, if we love you and we're seeking to serve you and obey your will, that, Lord, all things work together for our good. So, Lord, help us, therefore, to humbly submit to where you've got us. Help us with faithfulness to, to serve you in that place. And in doing so, Lord, we know you will prosper the work of our hands and we know, Lord, that we'll be a witness, a testimony for you. Lord, may you work in our hearts this morning. May you bless our time of fellowship of morning tea. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.